Hello, and welcome to the MacFab Engineering Podcast. We are your hosts, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. This is MacFab Engineering Podcast, episode number 51. So professional. Ooh. Yeah. So what's been up, Parker? Uh, the Jeep Radio. Yeah. We haven't had an update in a while, mainly because I've been waiting for my audio switcher level adjuster combo board to you know get built. And it's finally um, in? Or it's will finally, be? It will be. Uh, funny enough, it actually got shipped out of Macrofab and going to the old Macrofab location. <laughs> <laughs> and so it will come back tomorrow, hopefully. Okay. Yeah, so I'll get that. Uh, I'll get that board, and I'll probably work on that on the weekend. And hopefully next week I have an update either on the Macrofab blog. Depends if they allow me to put that kind of content on the blog or on my personal blog. Cool. Um, I'm trying to hopefully get on the Macrofab blog because I think it deserves to be there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Well, yeah. I mean, it's a project you've been working on for a while. So. Yeah, it's just not an official Macrofab project. Sure, sure. But, you, but you'll have an update next podcast. Oh, yeah, totally. Cool. And then this is something me and you have been working on. Yep. Because um, we've been doing a lot of machine automation, uh, working on getting conveyors working at Macrofab. Well, more than the conveyors we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, IoT everything. Yeah, doing a lot of uh, control logic and looking into systems that can work for us. Yeah. So we, we may have found something that's actually really cool. Yeah, so we found these, or you found these. I didn't find this. Yeah, I found, I've actually found it over the weekend, and I, I as soon as I, I saw it, I shot it right over to Parker. I yeah, like, and I, you I said, need to look at this. Yeah, I looked at, I think I just pulled it up. I'm like, yeah, let's order two on Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so these are um, PLC controllers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not true PLCs. Not in the traditional, traditional sense. sense. They're PLCs in terms of hardware. That's right. Um, and they look like a PLC. They look like a PLC. So it's got an 18 mega 2540. Yeah. You know, big honking chip with lots of I.O. in there. It's got an ESP8266 mm-hmm. for Wi-Fi. It's got all protected I.O. relays, digital in, digital out. Um, it's got analog in. Yeah, it's got a bunch of analog ins. And it's got RS-232 it's got the kitchen sink. Yeah, it's, it's got a screen on it. Packed to the teeth. Yeah, packed to the teeth. It's ninety dollars. Ninety bucks. For <laughs> ninety this. bucks. Uh, yeah, and it's called um, Open PLC. Yeah, and it's uh, yeah, and you, if you just search on Amazon for it, you can find them. The uh, I believe the website is www.plc.us. Yep. So, so they got that one. Yeah, yeah. I wonder how much that domain costs because three letter. I, you know, here's the thing: their website. Kind of looks stripped down. It, when you go to it, you're like, this doesn't look really great. Yeah, that website definitely is circa 2002-ish. Or earlier. Or earlier. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's definitely not in tables. No, Wait, no. no. Definitely the left side is, though. Anyways. It doesn't look great, but the product is cool, and we actually already have two of them in. Yeah. And we've been playing around with them. Uh, in fact, we got them in, and so what's funny about it is you open up the box... And inside the box is the PLC and an antenna and yeah. a little bit of instructions that basically Full shows the color instructions right. in perfect English. Well, it was designed and it says it was built in America. I don't think it says it's built. I believe I believe somewhere on the website it says it was okay. built. Okay. I, I could be wrong um, on that. The PCB does have an American flag on it. Yeah. But the solder quality isn't the best out there. Sure. But... Well, we did only look at one board, so yeah, we could we'll, look at the end of the board. We will say that, but 
So the thing is, like, I get it. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I got to turn this on and and see if there's a program uh, already demo preloaded. Code. Yeah, you're like, there's got to be demo code on. Yeah, there, there's got to be. I load this thing up. Yeah, there is a demo on there, and it is not just like, hey, welcome. I'm a PLC. It's like a demo demo. Like no, it, it, no, it is. Hello and welcome. It actually talks to you. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, like, it's not just like text that just shows up and says I'm a PLC no. or something dumb like that. Like, it it has images. It has. Oh, we forgot to mention this thing has an, a, a speaker in it. Yep. So it actually talks to you. Yeah. And it steps you through a bunch of screens, and uh, you can activate relays. You can uh, you can look at the uh, uh, the state of all the pins. You can turn them on and off. It does all kinds of crap. It's like, wow, this is actually extensive for a demo. And the cool thing about the demo is it basically does everything with the hardware. And so, and all that that code is open source. Yep. You can go on their GitHub and it's there. Right. And and the, the cool thing is all of the demo stuff, like the, the images that are displayed on the screen and the wave files that are played, actually come on an SD card that comes with the device. With the device. So you get a, you get a, a micro SD card. Yeah, four gigs? Uh, eight, actually. Is it eight? So it's not huge, but, uh, I mean, hey, it, it'll run most of your stuff. Regardless, if you wanted to take their code, you could basically just take their demo and convert it into anything. All of it is there. And and what's cool is they, they have it chunked out pretty well that it, uh, uh, it all everything is just functions and libraries yep. that are already pre-done for you. Uh, so including like the Wi-Fi, all the touchscreen capability stuff, it's, it's pretty nice. And um, did we mention that this is Arduino com- compatible? No, I was just about to bring that up because we said it's almost like a PLC. Yeah. And the difference is a PLC uses ladder logic Correct. to program it. This uses standard C with the Arduino sprinkled on it. Right. So if you you can you can program it directly from uh, AVR Studio if you if so you really felt want, like yeah. that, or you just plug it in because uh, it has a USB A B B. Yeah, it has yeah, a B on one. the side. Um, it has a, a USB B on the side. You just plug that in and go into Arduino, and you're you're already rocking on a PLC. Yep. So by next week, I hopefully we have like we've actually written code for it and actually tested it out. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to move some motors on it next week. So yeah, we actually have a uh, what we call a hand place bench out on our manufacturing floor that uh, when when products come out of the, the our pick and place machine occasionally there's still some parts that we need to place by hand it, it'll it'll it's things like if there's a onesie or a twosie part we'll or, place it by hand or as, a weird package oh yeah or something that funky. the machine can't pick up um well we're hoping to use this plc to control all the um conveyors on that bench yep. uh which hey for 90 bucks you could just put switches and motor controllers directly to it that's pretty awesome. Yeah, and the cool th- well, the reason why we have a bench that's like that is most benches like that cost like eight to nine thousand dollars. Yeah, used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got this thing for like what seven hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> we we got it cheap, and it has some beefy motors on. Yeah, it. Yeah, it's got like I think they're sixteenth horsepower motors, something like that. They're he- uh, they're way overkill. They're the size of like a forty. Size of beer. <laughs> or malt liquor, I guess. <laughs> I like how that's your unit of measurement. <laughs> oh, something of a can size. A I'm can like, size. well, it's definitely it's bigger. It's a really big can. It's a, really it's big a 40. It's a 40. <laughs> the squeeze bottle 40s. Yeah, squeeze bottle 40. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's about that size. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll give an update on that. They're pretty cool. Yep. 
All right, so FX Dev Board. FX Dev Board has now been live for a week. Yep. Uh, and we are actually, so um, we got some, some people who, who put some stuff in before we even wrote our show notes. Yep. Uh, so uh, we are further along than the percentage in our show notes. We're just under 30% yep. funded after, after one week. So yay, thank you everyone who's, who's gone and, and checked it out. I like how many people have bought us beer. Yeah, so the, so the the first option is is a just support us with with beer, and we have a good handful. Of yeah, them. I think it's like fifteen, sixteen people yeah, have bought us uh, some beer. Yeah, hey, thank thanks. you everyone. Cheers. Cheers. Um, so, a- along with the crowd supply page, uh, if you go through this, there's this information. But uh, I think it's worth noting we have fxdevboard.com, uh, all one word. And uh, on fxdevboard.com, we have a bunch of cool information, uh, some templates on uh, building certain circuits and pedals and things like that. But we also have some uh, schematic and PCB templates in case you ever want to take this and do something more with uh, with your own circuit. Yeah, and you've got a uh, already have a yeah, excuse me, you already have an example uh, schematic up there, right? We actually have three now. Uh, okay, so this information is very out of date <laughs> that I have written down. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, we have a, we have a bunch of good information on there, and we keep adding more. I've been adding uh, a lot recently. Yeah. Uh, so so yeah, we have we have some uh, uh, schematics up there, and um, I think we're going to be putting some bill of materials, and I and I'm going to be sharing some um, projects over Mauser actually, because Mauser has their whole share a bill of materials thing mm-hmm. such as you can give someone a link and they just click buy and all the parts show up you um, know what we should do is is because i know mauser has this ability i'm pretty sure digikey does where you can just paste a file into their in a certain format yep and then you can basically fill a cart that way we probably should do that with digikey as well because there are some people that are up north that are like us with mauser that they get parts the next day yeah for ground shipping, right. so we probably should do the same thing with DigiKey. You know, I'll, I'll look into that. Uh, so I already have both of those capabilities with Mauser available. Yep. Uh, but but yeah, I'll check in uh, DigiKey. That's a good one. Uh, I just I love Mauser. Yeah, well we we both do. So yeah, go check out fxdevboard.com. Bunch of cool information on there. And, um, the, and then the greatest resistor in the world. The greatest resistor in the world is on order. Yes. So it's on its way. Uh, we did. Go ahead and spring for the update, and we put forty thousand resistors on one side and forty thousand capacitors on the other side. Um, I felt like that was actually going to be better, seeing as the size of the board is is ten inches high by like fifteen something wide. I can't remember exactly what it is, yep. but uh, I didn't want there to be forty thousand resistors all on one side and no copper on the other because. That's pretty much guaranteed to warp. Yeah, warp like crazy. Uh, so I figured if we have generally the same mass on both sides, it should be pretty stable. Yeah. Um, so hopefully we'll see that we got. Uh, we'll see that next week. I think. Uh, no, it's probably going to show up week after. Really? Okay. Yeah, we. Um, I think it was like two hundred and seventy-five bucks for the PCB. It's something in that range. Yeah. So Kinda yeah, pricey, yeah. but you know. This all this whole project started to make it a cheaper precision resistor. Now it's just it's got a little stupid. <laughs> I actually told my my good friend about it, uh, and and I was explaining the whole thing, and then he was like, "Well, what what tolerance is it?" I go, "Oh, you know, it's a zero point zero zero five percent tolerance." And he's go, and he looks at me, and goes, "Couldn't you just buy that off of Mauser for like?" <laughs> a, 
a whole lot less, and I was like, yes, but no. No. <laughs> no, we the have power to do this. rating is through the roof. Yeah, we have to do this. <laughs> this is, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to have to pump a lot of power through it just to test it. Of course, of yeah. course. We have, to, we have to beat it up. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get a, uh, we have a um, source to get a seven and a half segment multimeter yep. with graphing capabilities. Yeah. So when we hook it up, we can actually graph how current changes through it and all that stuff while we heat it up and apply power and all that crazy stuff. And I'm going to try to get a FLIR-like thermal imaging camera so we can see if stuff heats up unevenly. Yeah. See how. I, I do want to put it in like a cooler or something like that so we can kind of negate any air blowing over it and, and the temperature is pretty stable. And we probably have to let it run for like two hours to, to be stable in temperature. Yep. So it's ridiculous. <laughs> ah, still fun. Okay. On to the RFO. RFO. Um, this was a interesting Hackaday article I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really want to talk about too much about the article itself, but it's got a, it's a good topic. Mm-hmm. It's uh, will supercaps ever replace regular batteries like lithium? So the premise of their article was basically explaining the two different types of technology, how much power each one can hold right now, the future, all that stuff. Um, so it's mainly comes down to to power density whereas a lithium battery can hold you know a thousand times more electrons basically Mm. than a super cap um what i was thinking is when you have to because one of the big things about super caps over lithium batteries and other batteries is they can charge almost instantly i was about to say the biggest thing between a cap and and a battery is their esr yeah a cap has, like, ridiculously low ESR. Correct. Um, and so you can pump a lot of power into it to charge it up. Now, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, so you've got your little tiny cable that you plug into your phone, right? So let's say you can make a super cap that fits in your phone that can power it the same way, okay? Mm-hmm. So you need the same amount of juice to go in. So it takes two hours to charge your phone, what, at, you know, two amps at five volts. Yeah. Well, now you're going to try to do over two hours, you're going to try to shove that into, like, two minutes. Yeah. So you're going to need a, like, you know, one-aught USB cable <laughs> to plug into your phone. <laughs> right. Well, I think I think batteries, with their high-ish or higher ESR, there's there's a, a, um, a level of safety that comes along with that. Yes, yeah. Like a 9-volt battery with its terminals being so close together... You touch it and you don't have any problems. No. It's not going to be well, an you issue. Can, I mean, testing nine volt batteries, you lick the terminals. Right. Go lick a super cap that's charged nine volts and has a thousand milliamp hours in it. Yeah, that'd ruin your day. <laughs> it might ruin your week. Yeah, that's <laughs> it'd like, rough. It'd be like Jar Jar in Phantom Menace. Oh gosh, <laughs> he's ruined. He's ruined more than a week. <laughs> <laughs> he's ruined an entire franchise and many of childhoods. <laughs> But yeah, so that uh, it, just thinking about it on the surface, that's probably the biggest difference. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, supercaps could replace batteries if they get the safety factor out, because batteries have the inherent ability of being swapped in and swapped out. Yeah. Uh, 
I guess sort of in a way if they're not swappable, well, then it's sort of a sell. Well, high-end lithium batteries have really low ESRs as well. Right. I mean, you can pull like, you know, 40 or 80 C. I think there's 100 C batteries too. For those that don't know, the C rating of a battery is basically how much more current you can pull over its rating. So a a 2 amp hour battery, if it's rated at 1 C, you can pull 2 amps off of it before you basically start thermally hurting the battery. Whereas if it's 100 C, you can pull uh, 200 amps off of it. Now, you would only get like a couple minutes runtime, but you can pull 200 amps off of it before you destruct the battery for thermal shock. Well, right. It heats up and it yes. pops. Pops. Yeah. Um, but, so, but, yeah. But yeah, inherently, I think it's about being able to plug them in and plug them out is what this is kind of talking about. Well, yeah, but what if you had it's in your cell phone? Because, I mean, most cell phones nowadays, you can't replace the battery, so it's technically safe that way. Right, right. Um, I, think you, I think you basically need to figure out how to make screens much more low power to start using super caps. Because that's what draws the most amount of power on your phones nowadays. Like yeah. Talking to the tower, you know, playing, you know, or computing all the, the games and stuff you, you're actually running doesn't take that much power. It's the screen that takes the most amount of power. Hmm. Well, I, also, the way that, um, like, super caps, and I think they also have ultra caps, which are even beyond super caps, the actual physical mechanism, the way they work internally, uh, it's really interesting, um, but they, it's not really great for shocks. No. Like, it doesn't handle, it, like, if you drop a phone, you can puncture that, and that spells game over yep. for it. Um, it's just not very well, uh, they, robust. If I remember right, like a regular capacitor, they basically take the two plates, put the dielectric in it, and then they roll it up for electrolytic. Yeah, like in a, in a, like a tubular cap. Yeah, tubular cap. Those, those kind and of so it's similar, but it's almost like a, a a mesh is what the the stuff is like, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Well. Okay. So they 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 do that, and then they grow the other plate. Okay. Basically, you you have you have one plate. You apply a dielectric in, there's multiple ways to do it, and then on the other side of the dielectric, you grow oh, the other plate. Oh, that's how they increase the capacitance so much. Well, yeah, okay. So they, get, they go from micrometers to nanometers. Exactly. And, and plate uh, width. That's, how, that's, width, that's um, exactly how... Um, thickness, right. I guess. Yeah, right. The, the, the distance... So capacitance goes up by the square root of R yep. uh, on the plate separation. So if you can get it nanometers, that's how you can get like a hundred microfarad tantalum cap. That's in a twelve oh six package. Uh, okay, yeah, because they yeah, and because yeah, yeah, yeah. things are grown on the microscopic. That's also why they um, one of the reasons why they catch on fire because they dump an enormous amount of energy into a really small Total place. Package. Uh, if for any reason the tantalum is is and that's why tantalums broken. are so. It's probably so susceptible to reverse biasing or over voltage is because those plates are so close together right that you can easily just punch right through which so that's why they 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 work really great but they're not amazing at being robust no but batteries are a lot better i won't i don't know well i, I wonder if a super cap will blow up or a gel pack lithium impact i bet you the lithium gel pack will blow up first you mean, if you puncture it, you mean? Yeah. Or just hit it with a hammer. Well, the gel pack actually explodes due to a chemical reaction, right? Yeah. The super cap would just short. Yeah. 
So they're both bad in different ways. Yeah. So one will probably just make a little spark or a big spark. Yeah, I was about to but say. But the other one will cause fire, smoke, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, you know. I think I think the Samsung batteries actually they had to land an emergency land an airplane because someone had one that exploded. Wow. So. so well, okay, so I guess it's different. If you have vibration or large amounts of shock versus literally puncturing the device. Yeah. But you know, I bet you cell phone manufacturers test punctures. Probably. I'd hope so. Yeah. So to answer Don't use your phones at the block bullets, by the way. Because <laughs> it would just explode. Yeah, just explode. I mean, and then the and then the bullet still kills you. <laughs> it'd be like reactive armor. Oh gosh. But really bad reactive <laughs> really bad, really bad reactive armor. <laughs> it's it's not reactive armor. Well, I think reactive armor is more like proactive armor because I think they actually ex- they detect the round and then they explode before the round gets there. Uh, there's a there's a whole bunch of different yeah, versions. Yeah, maybe yeah. it depends on their thickness and it depends on I've, I've seen both of those. Okay, yeah, they can detect like heat and they and and things getting close to them and then yeah, Abrams tanks. Go look at Abrams tanks armor. Uh, there's actually a really great YouTube video where they discuss the evolution of the armor on an Abrams tank. Super cool. It's that that platform. That's actually probably should be a topic for a future uh, map. Is like Abrams tanks and like how crazy the electronics are in in those tanks now. Yeah, the, they're, the, they're the only the Abrams tank is the only like modern like I guess the battle tank that has an unrifled barrel. Wait, it's just a straight barrel? It's a straight barrel. Huh, I didn't know that. And they use electronics to... Basically, they shoot enough rounds out at the range, and the computer knows how to shoot that barrel, and so it knows the drift and how the rounds are going to hit. So it doesn't need rifling. Oh, it it has, like... It compensates. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, because they do that so they can shoot different rounds. Whereas a rifle barrel, you are limited what kind of rounds you can shoot. The uh, depleted uraniums? Yeah, or whatever they use. Yeah. I think it's actually high explosive, but... I'm sure they have a, a variety of... Variety? Yeah. It's like going to a supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> what round do you want? Anyways, back on topic. <laughs> yeah, that, that topic. Um, so, yeah, I think eventually we'll probably get super caps in everyday devices. Prices got to go down. Yeah. You know, it used to be lithium batteries were astronomically expensive. Right. Now they're... Almost in anything. Yeah, right. So I think just the technology improving and and getting stuff, you know, closing the the you know maybe after nano go picometer, Ooh. and and yeah. I like, think if they can do that with um, well we uh, we actually talked about it on a previous podcast. Remember they were talking about um, like silicon grown capacitors and getting high capacitance on a die oh yeah yeah, yeah maybe yeah. maybe yeah. maybe on that level you're down to the angstrom yep. level uh but you have to have some pretty exotic materials to avoid arcing arcing <laughs> and yeah and 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 voltage puncture but that would be super cool yeah all right topic two um Autodesk moves Eagle to subscription only. Oh, yeah, this this probably makes you so mad. Actually, no, because I calculated the price and yeah. it actually works out cheaper. Oh, does it really? At least for me. Okay. Um, so still, they simplified all the. I think we talked about this on a previous podcast. Actually, yeah, one we, of the earliest ones. Um, 
where they simplified the pricing structure. Right. Yeah, and then they said they were going to do subscriptions. People complained, so they didn't do subscriptions. And then now they just said, like, they just flipped the switch overnight, and now it's subscription. Well, but just a few months ago, they got bought out, right? This, no, th- that was back then, too. Okay. Yeah. They, uh, Autodesk bought Eagle eight, nine months ago. Man, I thought we talked Ten about that ago. much earlier. Um, yeah, it was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, they bought... Um, so they still had the free version, the standard, and the premium. This is after they you know, simplified everything down. Mm-hmm. So the pricing is now standard is $100 a month. Uh, not, uh, no, $100 a year, $15 or $15 a month. So you pay a little bit more mm-hmm. if you do it per month. Premium is $500 a year or $65 a month. Um, I'm actually, tomorrow, I'm probably going to buy the premium version. This version 8. Right? Yes, the new version. Cool. Uh, mainly because we have a lot of our customers are Eagle users. Yeah. And I need to make sure everything works in our upload interface with Eagle 8. Right. <laughs> we kind of have to confirm. Have to confirm. Plus, I need to update because I'm still on 7.3 or something like that. Yeah. So I actually have a copy of 6. That on oh, my old copy of 6. And then I have a licensed copy of 7. And then we'll have 8 installed on it. I probably should try to find a copy of five. Do we, um, are we still getting five every? I think one? I think we've seen five come in like twice over the past two and a half years. Okay, so it's not super important, but it does happen. Um, yeah, it does happen. Um, I probably should try to find a copy of five. I wonder if I can just ask Eagle if I buy eight and say, "Hey, can you give me five? Since probably no one buys it, <laughs> I'd rather not have to get it from. Other sources. Sure. Um, so on this page uh, where they announced it, right, they have a chart that's like they're trying to justify going to the subscription model. And it's like, well, a coffee is like 250 a day and ours yeah. is only, you know, 50 cents. And the funny thing about that, though... <laughs> Josh over there. <laughs> just, it, the funny thing is, though, it's a, they say it says fifty cents, but if you do the math, it's actually a dollar fifty. Oh, but the graph where the bar is is correct. It's just the number beside it is wrong. Ooh, that's shady. Yeah, that's really shady. Can't so, be, can't be doing. It. So yeah. <laughs> here's the qu- here's the question that I'm I'm wanting to know. Can first of all, first of all, where can you who what you know. Hipster guy buys a two fifty coffee. That's like the coffee you get at like Seven <laughs> Eleven. I mean, I, I think the last time I went to a Starbucks, it was like seven bucks. Well, I mean, did you get like a gallon of coffee or something like that? Uh, a vente, whatever size that is. The the, the Mondo. No, the, I think the, that's a that's that's the big one. No, that's Grande. Nope, Grande's in the middle. Venti is the big, the big one. one. Yeah, that's that's, that's oh, the, the big tall one. is the small. The tall is the small. <laughs> Grande is in the middle. Yeah. It's like Mac sizing schemes. Just just think of it as fat, fatter, and fattest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that works. <laughs> so, so okay, I'm curious. Can you turn the scri- subscription on and off whenever you want? Uh, I bet you if you had the monthly one, probably. Okay. But I'm going to bet you you, quote, log in. It probably works like the Adobe, you know, Premiere Suite or whatever it is, where you have to log into their server to use the stuff, mm. which is kind of annoying if you're at like an airport. I mean, I actually like to route boards when I'm on an airplane. 
Um, and the fact that Eagle would have to phone home to boot up, that'd be kind of annoying. Okay. I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking E.T. phone home right now. Well, I mean, it's got a phone to the Eagle server. <laughs> right. So, they, I guess... Maybe they'll they, have an offline feature like Steam does. Where you can click, I want should. to go offline for the next X hours, and so that if you, when you go to the LAN, you know, there are people that still go and bring their computers places and play video games. Right. People still LAN. I, you see, I was asking that question for, like, the contract guys who need Eagle for a month, and then they don't need it for four months, and then they need it again for a month. Yeah, that actually, this would work out for them. Okay, that, so that's actually great. Instead of having to plunk down 1500 bucks, you spend 65 years, bucks whenever, one, you need whenever you need it, and yeah. then you have a killer copy. Yeah. So I, I think most of those guys that. are probably using Altium, though. And I wish, oh my gosh, I wish Altium had this kind of pay structure yeah. for their thing, because I would totally drop, I, I, you know, 120 bucks this month. It give me every package Altium has. I'll finish my design and then take it all away, and I'll be happy. But they know? want that $15,000. Yeah, 15000 one time upfront buy, and then $400,000 a year worth of maintenance on their package. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really proud of their stuff. And yep. damn it, I like it. all right topic three leds categorized by product bin i did not know this wait what so i knew that cpus and like big processors when you go on like newegg or amazon to buy a processor the faster processors are binned at that level so usually they're closer in on the die when they make a wafer right and so they have less bad transistors, basically. And then the other ones, like the like an i5, where they, they, they basically just disable some of the cores mm-hmm. by lasering them shut. Yeah. But those are on the outside of the wafer, but they test them all. Mm-hmm. And so they try to get as many i7s, then i5s, and then down the line, I of course. Yeah. Um, but so they bend the dies that way. Yeah. They apparently bend LEDs the same way. I didn't know that. Me neither. And I, I, a customer was asking, like, you know, what does this mean? Because he was using these LEDs by uh, Lumi. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was trying to figure out what, what are bin numbers. Because, like, he doesn't know it. And it's actually in the part number. By the way, these part numbers are ridiculous. L130-658. Zero 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 two zero one one zero zero one. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an internal part number that they were just like, you know, screw it, let's just use yeah, let's that. Yeah, just use that. So it's like there's like actually like four or five of these numbers are bin numbers, hmm. They're different bins, and they actually test each LED. So what is what does the different bin mean in terms of the performance? Uh, luminosity, color spectrum, angle. No, angle seems to be not in there. Okay. But it's mainly the color, mainly for white LEDs. Whites are really hard to make. Yeah, the white LEDs are very, very hard to make um, and are very specific because people when, well, people like us don't really care. A white LED is a white LED. Right. But when you make a LED display yes. uh, for the backlighting, you need everything to be within a certain percentage or you have one corner is yellow and one color is yeah, slightly you, blue. You, you don't want hot spots or anything like yeah. that. Yeah, and yeah. so that's what they use the binning for, so you can get all your product in the same bin. Interesting. Yeah. And so DigiKey actually has a really cool um, 
tech article, I guess, called Decoding LED Bin Labels. Interesting. And they talk about, like, why this is the case. Basically, it's really hard to make consistent P, uh, P and N uh, zones mm -hmm. on the LEDs when they're, you know, laying down the uh, and growing the crystal. Yep. And so you will have some varying thicknesses there, and then you have some varying thicknesses on the dot, like actually, you know, putting the, the encapsulation on, all that affects it. So that's why LEDs are kind of expensive, because at least the good ones. Right. Because they test them all and bin them. That makes sense. Whereas the really cheap ones, they probably just chuck it in the bin. <laughs> this is red enough. <laughs> red enough, yeah. Yeah, and Looks it's right enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, getting a specific wavelength is way harder than you think it is. Yep. If, you, if you even look at, like, the band diagrams, red is one of the easier ones. Well, that's why red was one of the first LEDs. Right, and it also takes the least amount of voltage. Yep. Uh, of, uh, I think a red one's closer to, like, 1 volt, uh, forward voltage, whereas, like, a blue can be up in, like, 2.4 volt range. Hammering or getting precision on the um on the wavelength is super hard because yep. it, it there's a lot of parameters that you have to hit spot on when you're growing your crystal not an easy thing yep that's really cool you got I didn't to know do that in college i did I, I wish i was able to do that i need you know what i need to bring it in uh so at a and m this this was the one class that made all of college feel worthwhile <laughs> there's uh, always that one class yeah well and this one okay so it was my senior year and i took a um uh silicon fabrication class and we got to go we a&m has a silicon fab in one of their building well they have a couple but they have one that's for undergrads and it's terrible machinery from the 70s and stuff like that but regardless it's a full room that's a full fab and uh the whole like you're wearing the Tyvek suits and the yellow lights and, and all the stuff. And we got to make our own uh, silicon dye chips, basically. And they were just a handful of resistors, a handful of caps. We made some MOSFETs and stuff. Uh, we got to do it all top to bottom, and it was amazing. You have pictures? I have the chip. Oh, oh so we got to take pictures tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I will, I will bring it in. Uh, at the big, uh, So we made, we made our own wafers. And I think there's 150 chips on my wafer, and at the middle of every single one of them in metal is the AM logo. We That's to, like half a millimeter by half a millimeter. We have to Photoshop that part out. Oh, come on. <laughs> uh, Justin, our operations manager, shows up today, and he's like, I got something for you. And he bought muscle milk because he kind of he drinks that crap. But he bought muscle milk, and it's UT muscle milk. And I was like... <laughs> I was, I was like, why is you know, it branded that way? Because yeah. UT's a bunch of douchebags. Uh, it, <laughs> it totally makes sense. I was like, yeah, no, of course, UT would have their own branded muscle. Was it milk. orange? Yeah, of course it was. It was like this really nasty brown, burnt orange color. That is pretty gross. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that. I'll bring the chip in. We'll take some pictures. Yeah, I'll take some pictures. <laughs> we have that nice microscope. Yeah. Well, what we can do is we can take the, the borrow lens off. So we can actually get 70x magnification on it. And we'll be able to see the AM logo with that. Sweet. It'll be cool. Okay. Last topic. So this is four topics for RFO. Ooh. So this is something new we're going to start doing. Is we're going to start having kind of like discussion topics on PCB assembly and design. Mm. Um, so the first topic we, I have is, or for today, is mounting holes on PCBs and what to look out for. Basically, the idea is we'll talk about this topic, 
Um, and then what comes out of this, I will write into an article. And so I can put it on the blog. And basically, we're writing the article for me automatically. <laughs> um, two boards, one stone. There, hey, hey. Awesome. <laughs> Sounds great. So mounting holes on a PCB, what to look out for? Yes. Um, making sure, well, first of all, I think the most important thing is to pick a fastener first. Right. Yeah, because picking the fastener, that way you know how much clearance you need to put around the head mm-hmm. and then how much uh, clearance you need in your your hole. Because if you make it too tight, you start, you'll basically have to thread into the FR4 and you'll actually probably splinter and crack the FR4. I was just about to say, FR4 does not like to be threaded. No. It is not a really uh, forgiving material. Yeah. So, so um, when, when I first read this, the, the very first thing that came to mind is actually the way that um, dip trace handles mounting holes. And I love the way they do. Uh, because when you place a mounting hole, it gives you two parameters. One is the hole and one is the head. Ah, uh, yeah, it's not like that in Eagle. Right. You have to draw both separately. Yeah, and I love it. What's, what's great about it, too, is it's you can make the hole parameter larger than the head parameter, and it just makes it a hole at that point. Gotcha. It doesn't make any keep outs or anything like that. But when you go and pick like a 440 screw or something like that, pick the major diameter and then pick the, the head diameter, put those in a dip trace, and then you know where not to route. Yep. Um, I always pick the the major diameter of the thread plus like 20 mils. Yeah. Just so it's a, has a little bit of oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. slop in there. Of course. Um, and then I always pick the head diameter and then plus usually about 50 mils if I can on the on the radius actually so you have extra space right and then depending on what you want this to do if you're mounting it to a metal chassis and you need to ground the chassis yeah plate the hole you can plate the hole and you can actually you know pull solder mask around it Mm -hmm. and then when you crank that screw in you actually will ground your board out to the chassis so when i do that on a pcb i don't use a mounting hole i actually use a pad Gotcha. Because uh, cause the way the EDA tool handles it, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, mounting hole is just a pad without uh, uh, copper. Yeah. And what I usually do, too, is I take, if, that, if that's my purpose of that, to ground out that, that chassis to that thread uh-huh. um, or that mounting hole, is I'll actually have the fab put paste on that hole. So I'll have it marked as paste. Yeah. And so it'll get flowed. And so when you actually put the screw in. Oh, it digs it, in. It digs in and actually gives you more contact and resists corrosion better. And actually, if the, if the solder's already there in your situation, if you really felt like it, you could heat up the screw and solder it Correct. to there if you wanted to. God, that would be terrible to take apart later. Oh, it'd be, it'd be terrible. But if it's a permanent <laughs> thing, you know vibration would not uh, affect that screw yeah. head. And then another thing people don't look out for is um, what tool you're going to use to install this mm. screw. Because if it's a Phillips head or a flat head, you're fine. Because usually your screw is, uh, or your, your diameter of your screwdriver is either equal or, or smaller less. than right. your head of your screw. But if you're using a hex, your hex is bigger than the head. And so you got to watch out for if you put a giant capacitor next to it yep. or a connector, and then you just can't get your tool in there at that point. And personally, I really like hex um, fasteners for PCBs mm-hmm. because a lot of times you do have to feed it you know, next to a connector so you can't really get your finger in there. And most hex tools 
hold the fastener better as you, you know, dropping it into the the uh, chassis. Sure. Cool. Well, and, and something kind of to rewind a little bit. I don't think it's there's any way we can make it more important to consider the head of your fastener. Yeah. Uh, because if if you run a trace underneath the head of your fastener, you cannot be sure if once you torque down, if it's not crushing the trace or if it didn't scrape off solder or mask and make contact, you don't Internal know. traces, too. That's, that's true. Because yeah. uh, actually, that's a big deal with iPhones, where people do iPhone repairs. Mm. And there's like one screw that's like 0.2 millimeters shorter. It's, some, it's like half a thread shorter than all the other screws. Oh, and it's there for a reason? It's there in that one spot for a reason. And if you use a... If you use that shorter screw somewhere else and install it, you will actually crush. It's like, a, you know, it's like a eight layer board. Yeah, right. It will actually crush and break internal layers on your repair. Ooh. And there's actually some really cool videos on YouTube on repairing those internal layer traces. Oh, geez. Yeah. Scraping it all the way. And oh, not cool just videos. making contact somewhere else on the board. No. Wow. Scraping the layers away and rebuilding traces with, with enamel wire. Just throw the iPhone away and go get a real phone. <laughs> get a real phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other really important thing I think about is board flex. Mm. This is not too much about mounting holes, but it's what you're mounting into yep. and how much torque you put on that fastener into the hole. And the main thing to look out for is because if you have too much flex, you can break solder joints yep. on fine pitch leads, balls on BGAs. Those aren't really too big of a problem. And it, same thing with internal traces and outer traces. You have to flex the board a lot to get those to break. But the main thing to look out for is ceramic capacitors. They do crack. And they will they will fracture. If you put them, if you put a ceramic cap too close to a mounting hole, and then you will have failures. They will crack and they will fail you. And they fail shorts, usually in that case. Yep. <laughs> I've I, I've had experience with products in the past where uh, we use ferrite beads um, for EMF rejection CE mm -hmm. stuff, and um, you flex the board; those will crack open. It's game over at that point. Yep. Um, well, your signal just doesn't go through. Right, right, right. And and I think I think the uh, the overall I, the rule of thumb is no flex is acceptable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like consider it that. Yep. Uh, and 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 that's you, typically that's not that hard to design around. No, no, no. You have to make sure you're. You know, I wonder what the IPC standard for board flex is. I have that document. I can I can pull that up. We should look at that up. Yeah. Um. You know, when I edit or when I do the podcast notes tonight for this, I'll make sure to make a note to get that from you tomorrow. <laughs> you know, what would be great is if IPC just has a note it's like no flex, is no flex. <laughs> Cool. Cool. So um, if y'all have any more questions like that on PCB design and assembly and blah, 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 give us a tweet, send us an email, whatever. Yeah. Um, and we will talk about it. I'm uh, at macro underscore ninja near. And I'm at Longhorn Engineer with no O's. All right. And you can just go to podcast notes and the links are there. Great. Awesome. Well, that was... Uh, the MacFab Engineering Podcast, episode number 51. We were your host, Stephen Craig. And Parker Doman. Take it easy, guys. Later. Later.